Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tom, did you ever rest any hockey at all? I rep like a charity game or something like that, but that's what the only thing I ever rep. Not an easy job at oh, all. I, I, I have. Yeah, I ref, and a lot of it comes down to, in the beginning, you get hated. A lot of guys scream at you, and you got to keep your emotions out of it. But I think uh, it's a really, really difficult job. Yeah. Do you give refs any shit when you were playing? Oh, totally, yeah. Like, well, part of it was like a strategy, too. Like, if you were, like, sometimes you just got playing mad, and you're yelling at them. Other times, you're like, okay, so that was a close call. I'm going to really give it to him here and feel like he owes me something. They get back about it. I don't know if it really works or not, but it was, uh, but that's uh, so a questionable trip. You're like, Hey, stripes, we got coming our way now. Right. Stripes. Yeah. Trying to influence we, them. we had a game. It was just an exhibition game. We were playing against the guys that were trying out for the uh, U.S. Olympic team. So it must've been for the 88 Olympics. Uh, Tony Granado was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 88. Yep. No one Tony now. I think he may have done it on purpose, but he cross-checked me in the face. Oh, and referee Terry Gregson's a Terry Gregson. I think it was didn't call a penalty. And now there was a splinter in my lip of wood. Well, oh. it sucked. I walked over to him. I knew it was there, and I didn't take it over. I walked over to him. I said, "Terry, do you think he might stick me or cross check me?" He goes, "I'm sorry, Tom. I just didn't see." Yeah, it. Well, you know, it's funny too when I when I ref a lot of guys will be like, they'll lift up their shirt, say, "Look at this slash mark on my arm." Like, okay, yeah, he, he got you. What do you want me to do? Go back, you know, his shirt. Oh, uh, yeah, and it it really has changed now too. Like we had again, we talked about the relationships you've had with referees back then. Sure, uh, I had a referee early in my career. And I it was a preseason game. I was playing terrible, and he, he made a couple of calls that really weren't that bad. But I was frustrated more with myself. I was all over him, and he looked at me and goes, Tom, the way you're playing, you should really more worried about your own game. You know, and that kind of stuff would happen. Great. And then you go back to him later on, and you kind of, both of you are laughing about it because he was he's telling the truth. So, coach Mike Isaacy now, and one of the coaches I coached with last year, Coach Sloan, was, uh, you know, he was berating a ref. And when it's Mike's, they have kids ref because yeah. they have to learn the game. Oh. So, I look over to him, like, you know, we, we had lost the game. The kid, he missed a goal, whatever the case was, but their kids are seven or eight. I said, I was like, Kyle, he's 13. He's a child. Just stop yelling at this kid, you know? And he's like, I, I know, I know, but, and I get it, but it's like, yeah. they're just kids. I, I learned when I was refing, the most important thing is to communicate. And yeah. you probably noticed if a guy calls you by name, you know, it's like, you know, hey, yeah, Tom, watch your stick there. You're like, you know what? Okay, I understand that. I got you. Yeah. You know, Terry, it's not, it's not adversarial. Um, when I first started, I really, I, the, some of the players who weren't stronger players, I kind of was like, why? I, I was hating these guys. Like, why are they here? Why are they, right. this is so annoying. These guys don't know any rules. They're always doing the dumb stuff. But then I was like, they love the game as much as I do and they deserve that respect. Yeah. So, you know, ever since then, I, I've always given respect when I ref to guys and I communicate and I, and I try to like make sure that they, they know I respect what they're doing, showing up, bringing their bag, getting here, getting, you know. I think, you know, as, as a referee, or excuse me, as a coach, especially if you've got some experience in the game too, I think it's almost better try to help especially those young kids like Absolutely. Mr. Little, try to help like pull them aside not yell at him pull them aside and say listen I, I calls made already can't change it but here really is the sure. is we should have done no but that's the thing what you need to because uh, we got to grow this game and we got to this next year you know if we don't grow refs at 13 14 we're not going to have refs and that's the problem right now too they're having a hard time finding refs because again it, it yeah it's coaches sometimes too but it's the parents too they get parents wound up and they really? yell at kids yeah, yeah you're right yelling at a 13 or 14 year old kid he's probably getting paid 50 dollars for the game if that if that yep uh, so kids just go, hey, why do I do this? I want to get there you know, and take some views. But I, I think that it, it, it is important to do that. When you, now you coached with famously with John Tonelli. Yep. And now he was obviously the yellow in that group, right? Oh, to say the least. <laughs> he, he was unbelievable. I, I, I love the guy to death. I've got utmost respect for him. And there's times I'm going, John, like, but he, he was doing it at a place where he really wanted the kids on his team to have the maximum experience out of that season that he was playing with them. And he wanted to push them. Part of that was like sticking up for them if the coach is referees making a bad call. Uh, but he, yeah, he, he pushed it. 
you know, and again, I, I said, as a, when I ref, the most important thing is communication. And today we probably, in this next episode, kind of, we probably have the, one of the best refs yeah. of all time and a great communicator. Yeah. It's, uh, Terry Frazier. So this, this will be a great episode. I will never forget. And I've told the story so many times, but when I, we were playing a game in LA, it's like an all-star team out there, you know, Gretzky's out there and Curry and Messier and coffee on the other side, face off at center ice, start of the game. I'm out there with Tim Waters, you know, done this a thousand times, you know, what comes back to me and it's just, it's like a grenade. It just explodes. I've explained my stick handling and, uh, I can't find it. It's in my feet. Gary Curry comes flying in, picks up the puck, goes down, scores. And uh, we go back to center ice for the face off, and Kerry Fraser is standing there laughing at me. And he's holding the puck like he's delaying the yeah. game because everybody in the building, and everybody on both benches is staring at me like, what are you doing, you idiot? And I'm yelling at him, just chop the effing puck, drop the effing puck. Nice apple. And I bet, I, I predict that you're going to tell that story on the episode coming up with Kerry Fraser. Just have a feeling. I don't like to repeat stories very often, but I, you know what? I, I think I do it so that people are like really make sure that they get it. Maybe they didn't hear it before, so now I'll say it again. That they're, and they're going to hear it too. Enjoy this episode and please leave us a review. Yes. Great episode coming up. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. I thought we got a fun one today. We have a legend, not just because of his career, but also because of his incredible hair. You know who we have. One of the, the greatest refs of all time. We have Kay Fraser on the show today. Well, you know, it's a shame this, this is not, this is a podcast, it is not a uh, visual as well, because the contrasting hairstyles here, Tom Laidlaw with no hair, and Carrie Frazier with the big head of hair. How are you doing there, brother? Good to see you I'm again. I'm doing good, pal. You too. It's always good to be with you and see yeah. you, and see you looking so fit and lean and uh, mean machine. Thank you, are a, thank you. you are a machine. Better condition now than when I played, which doesn't say a whole lot for that. Well, you know, I got, I just got off the bike for you. I had to wash my hair after getting off the bike. And, and I, uh, I do, uh, I'm doing 19, 20 miles every day. Uh, are you really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I started, uh, January one. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I have that blood cancer that you know about it. Right. Yep. And, uh, so I take uh, nine chemo pills a week and, uh, it causes a little bit of fatigue. And I, I thought now as a, as a professional athlete, what would I do? you know, with the travel and, and I might have, uh, 10 games in 12 days, all in different cities. And I'd come into another city and I'd be freaking tired. What would I do? I want it. My body says, go to bed, but my mind said, no, keep going. And I'd get on, uh, you'd go to the health club, go, get on the bike and I'd ride and it'd spur me on. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought this is going to work for this too. And I got to tell you, Tommy, it, it, I feel so much better when I don't, when I miss it, the endorphins are saying, come on, wake up and give me it. Well, we saw each other, I haven't seen each other in years, and I saw each other down in Philadelphia. You look fantastic, too. I'd really forgotten about your illness. Uh, you look, look fantastic, so it's great. Thanks, buddy. Great news. So where were you born and raised? Sarnia, Ontario. Uh, and wow. uh, I uh, I played to the junior A level. Uh, we had uh, a really great minor hockey system. We were sponsored by the Chicago Blackhawks in the original six, so they could get Pat Whitey Stapleton uh, on board. Phil Esposito played junior B there before... Ian Whitey moved on to uh, St. Catharines uh, Teepees at the time, which was the uh, Chicago Blackhawk uh, uh, farm team in the uh, Ontario Junior A League. And uh, Stan Makita played there, Bobby Hall, all at the same time. Uh, they won a Memorial Cup. So um, we had good teams. Five guys off my midget AAA team that my dad coached. My dad, by the way, was a goon. Played in the was it? No. Oh, yeah, big time. Tough guy. Forearms like Popeye. And, uh, he, um, he was also a boxer and he coached us. He taught me how to fight when I was 12 years old in the kitchen. And, uh, I was a lefty and I had really fast hands and, but he'd, he'd say, get your hands up. And, and I would put my hands up and whack, he'd pop me one and the open slap and I'd go down and get back up. And after about 10 times getting knocked down, I decided I better listen. So I got my hands up and I could counter punch. And, uh, it's funny cause you'll love this. We had five guys that went on play we won Ontario championships with our midget triple a team and uh we were playing in a tournament we had like Bob Neely first draft pick of uh Toronto Maple Leafs big defenseman six foot one and and big guy Wayne Merrick was my line mate won four cups with the with the uh, Islanders um we had Jerry Butler uh played the St. Louis the Rangers um bunch of guys and uh so we're in this tournament uh, against the Michigan team and they had this big defenseman that was dirty. He was sticking our guys. And the old man coaching, he said, guys, be disciplined. Let's win the, win the tournament, win it. Come on. No penalties. 
five, we're up five, two, five minutes left. He walks down and gives me a tap on the shoulder. He said, uh, Hey, Carrie, I want you to go teach that big guy in defense a lesson. Ooh, nice. <laughs> so I went out and I could fight better scared than this kid could not. I speed bagged him with both hands, cut him over both eyes. We get thrown out of the game and I really ripped him. And, uh, so I'm in the dressing room. The guys all come in. We win the tournament and I hear this argument going on out in the hallway and it's my dad's voice. And all of a sudden he slipped in the dressing room, locked the door. He came over, he put his arm around me, said, listen, Carrie, I'm really proud of the way you, you taught that guy a lesson. He, he was a bully and he needed to be taught something. He said, well, you took the kid. I don't think he can take his mother. She's out there waiting for you. <laughs> so it gets better. I said, well, so what are we going to do, dad? He said, uh, and I was 115 pounds. That's it. He said, you see that stick bag there? I said, yeah. He said, get dressed, get in it. We're going to zip you up. I, he threw me over his shoulder and walked me past the mother looking at the faces of all our players. Uh, no way. That's, yeah. that's a great story. That's good. Your dad threw you in your hockey bag and walked out of the ring. Put me in the stick bag and walked me out. The game was in Port Huron, Michigan at the McMoran Arena. If you think about it, the guys like Bob Neely, he was a tough guy, big yeah. guy. But I was the guy that the old man said, okay, go get him. And, uh, you know, I hated bullies, and, and I played uh, to the junior A level. I, I wasn't good enough. I, I had a lot of U.S. Uh, Division I uh, athletic scholarships. Uh, Brown wanted me big time, uh, but it just wasn't in the cards for me. And uh, I, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was undrafted. I was maybe going to play in the minor pro league somewhere, see if I could crack it. And the guy that played pro with my dad was coaching in the International League and then went on to coach the Detroit Red Wings, Ted Garvin. Mm -hmm. And Ted saw me as a kid, you know, in diapers. And he said, listen, you're a good little player. You play big, you play tough, but you're not going to make it to the NHL. He said, you can play in our league, uh, the IHL at the time, or maybe the American League, but that's going to be the end of the line. You'll probably get hurt. And he said, why don't you get into officiating? Mm -hmm. He said, we need... Uh, former players that play to a good level that understand, you know, the, uh, the emotions of the game and players, coaches, frustrations. And, uh, and you're a great skater. He said, uh, why don't you try officiating? I think you can make it to the NHL. Well, it was great advice. I went to a referee school that summer. It was 1972 when the world hockey was formed and there was opportunities being created at all levels of the game. And I went to this referee school uh, in uh, September. The 72 Summit Series was going on uh, with Team Canada playing against the Russians. And my good friend Whitey Stapleton was part of that. And uh, yeah. so I ended up uh, being scouted by Frank Udberry, a Hockey Hall of Fame referee and uh, assistant director of officiating at the time. Uh, he saw me work 10 minutes of a men's intermediate uh, league game uh, at this camp on a Thursday night. And he took me immediately into the dressing room, met me, introduced himself and said, I'd like to bring you to the NHL training camp for officials. I think you've wow. got what we're looking for. Wow. So two days later, I was in Toronto at the NHL officials camp and uh, 10 days spent there. And, and uh, I had no idea that I was, you know, as a player, you think heck wants to be a ref, right? Um, but uh, it was the right decision for me to make. And, and I sat there like a rookie uh, knowing that, you keep your mouth shut and your ears open, uh, unlike today, maybe some of the the uh, younger entitlements. Uh, and uh, funny story, we were going through the rules at the time, and Scotty Morrison was the referee-in-chief, and we went through every rule of the book at different meetings over the course after we finished our workouts in the morning. And uh, there was a, uh, a rule for spearing. And, Tommy, you could either, the ref at that time could impose a two-minute penalty or a five-minute penalty based on his discretion. So I was sitting beside Lloyd Gilmore, who was the ref that refereed the, the Russians in Philadelphia, and the Russians left the ice because they were getting hammered, right? Lloyd didn't call a lot of penalties. So I said, uh, Mr. Gilmore, I said, what's the difference between a two-minute penalty and a five-minute penalty for spearing? He said, well, kid, if you see the stick go in, it's two minutes. If you see it come out the back, it's five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a little barbaric back then. That Russian game was something well. Yeah. Hey, Carrie, you, you mentioned how your dad wanted you to stand up to bullies. How did you take that with you as you ref? Like, say someone was getting picked on in a game. Like, did the dad caused, perform? Caused a problem. Uh, Tom, I got to tell you, uh, it did. And uh, because I had the little man syndrome, the chip on the shoulder, and 
my first game, uh, I was a junior B. I was sent from Hamilton to, to uh, Collingwood. And uh, my very first game, we're playing the Kitchener Rangers. And I was looking for a first shift, looking back for a pass coming out of the zone. And uh, Chris Ahrens, who was played in Minnesota, was drafted by the North Stars. Big guy. Uh, he stepped up and elbowed me right in the head. And, and I was like deer in the headlights. I was knocked out on my feet. I staggered to the bench. He got two minutes for elbowing. And I shook the cobwebs out. And I went, man, I, this is like my first shift. I got to do something here. So there was a bigger guy that was playing on defense for them. And I uh, went out and fought him, and I beat him. And when a little guy, Tommy, beats a big guy, yeah. it's it's like, you know, I think a little guys like Bobby Basson and, sure. and, you know, little guys that really could throw him. And so this guy was embarrassed, and he wanted to go again. I beat him again, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to just go through and fight big guys once, hopefully, <laughs> and, you know, see what I can do. And, and it, it worked out pretty good for me, but you know, I don't profess to be a tough, you know, I was just a little junkyard dog. So now I took that attitude that served me well as a player. And now I'm refereeing. I should have been part of the solution, but there were times based on my chip on the shoulder, little man syndrome, that I was, uh, part of the problem. And, uh, very early in my officiating career, I mean, I had no experience and I kind of learned on the job and taking that personality that I had developed from the schoolyard right through to that, that point in, in now officiating career. And, uh, I, uh, agitated people. And in one particular game, Danny gear was playing, uh, in this game. Uh, they sent me to the Western league, uh, my first year under contract to the NHL to get some experience. And, uh, Danny's team, Calgary, was was kicking the heck out of the home team, and, and the fans were frustrated. The coaches and the players were frustrated. Every time another goal was scored against the home team, the fans littered the ice. Players had come up and chirped me. I'd bang them with a misconduct. I had them sitting three deep in the penalty box by the time the, uh, you know, just about to the end of the third period. And the coach had enough of me at this point. Another goal scored, more litter on the ice. And he sent his captain over very politely, Tommy. He said, uh, Mr. Referee, my coach wants to know if he can get a penalty for thinking. I said, <laughs> well, if he doesn't think out loud, he's probably going to be okay. He said, in that case, he thinks you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, well, I started laughing. Yeah, that's good. I looked over at the coach and he had the stern look. He was one foot up on the dashboard. Then he grinned and then he started laughing. I gave him a thumbs up. And it was a good lesson for me. Don't be an asshole, Carrie. Enjoy the game and, and try and get along with people. Try and, you know, develop relationships. And, and it served me well. Um, I had a big confrontation with Wayne Gretzky in my very first game in the NHL. Oh, really? Uh, oh. Yeah, with him. And it was another learning experience for me. Uh, we didn't have a diving penalty back then. The game's in 1980, early in the season, my first year in the NHL. And it's in Northlands Coliseum. And the great one, I mean, he was like God even then at, at Northlands. And uh, I dropped the puck in the opening faceoff. Bobby Clark, the Broad Street Bullies are playing there. And within five seconds, Wayne got touched. He kind of jumped in the air and he turned his head to see if I was my arm was going up before he hit the ice. Obviously, in my judgment, he took a dive. I took it personally and we had no diving penalty at the time. But in my head, I'm saying, okay, buddy, you're going to play on your knees tonight. You're trying to embarrass me right off the bat. I'll show you. Ooh, right. Yeah. I, I saw well, no penalties were called when Wayne was fouled. I called the other penalties. Now with the flyers up by one goal and a minute and a half left in the, in the third period regulation time, Kelly Lindbergh catches the puck. I stopped the play. Gretz behind the net in his office, jumped in the air, threw his hands out one way, feet out the other way. Boom. Belly smack on the ice. But Clarkie skated over to him in OT days. Get up, Gretzky, effing baby. I went over, I said, Wayne, what are you doing? I said, there wasn't anybody within 15 feet of you. He said, you haven't, well, you wouldn't have called it anyway. You haven't called a blank thing all night. I said, you're right. I'm going to start right now. Boom, I give him an unsportsmanlike oh, conduct. Wow. He said, thanks. It's about effing time you called something. And he stormed to the dressing room. Oh. Didn't even go to the penalty box. Now, here's the moral of the story. 
after every game, and I've got a memory like a VCR replay machine back then. I could replay all kinds of things. And even to this day, you ask me a play, I, it, it pops up in my memory banks. I knew in replaying that game, trying to figure out something to do better, it hit me like a freaking Tommy Laidlaw slap shot between the eyes. <laughs> First I've gone. I was laying on the ice. Yes, I was just going to say that. <laughs> so I went, by God, Kerry, you compromised your personal integrity. You compromised the rules of the game. You compromised the game you love and, and your employer. you you got to be better. And I figured out what caused it. And it was that little man syndrome, chip in the shoulder from the playing days. And the next time I saw Wayne, I apologized. I oh, said, good. listen, I'm really sorry. That was, I was big time bad wrong. Uh, but please do me a favor. Stay on your feet, work through things. If you get fouled, my arm's going to go up. What do you and, say to that? Fair enough. And and we developed an amazing relationship, professional relationship. As a matter of fact, at the end, uh, Wayne, uh, when I wrote my book, The Final Call, uh, Wayne wrote the foreword in it. Uh, awesome. So we, you know, we had an amazing professional relationship. And, and it was a good lesson for me, too, because... I, I worked at that kind of philosophy, developing relationships with guys in a very intense element of the game at that time. We're talking early, like 80 through, the, you know, the we'd eliminated the bench-clearing brawls in, in 79-80 uh, because we lost the TV contract uh, with, uh, I think it was CBS at the time, uh, because the games were taking too long to play. Um, so, and from a safety perspective, obviously the bench clearing brawls were just wicked with one referee and two linesmen on the ice. And, uh, but it was a tough brand of hockey and we had such rivalries, Tom, you know, you guys at the Rangers with the Islanders yeah. and you had like, flyers. whoa, the Flyers and, and Boston, Montreal, you name it. Edmonton, Calgary too. They were good. Yeah. Big time yeah. out West and yeah. every, 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 uh, like the Norris division, the old Norris yeah. division. Yeah. We, used to, we used to call that the Chuck Norris division yeah. because no matter who played, whether it was Toronto, Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis, Minnesota, they had the talent that would step out and away they go. Uh, yeah. And it was it was tough, tough hockey. You knew there was going to be the, the tough guys are going to fight every night. Yeah. You know what I always wondered too? We got, like I played with Phil Mazito in New York and then Wayne in Edmonton and I would see them get on the referees and you guys are human beings, right? You, you've got to... Uh, when Wayne Gretzky is standing there in front of you yelling at you because you just made a bad call, you've got it's got to affect you a little bit, doesn't it? Well, I'll tell you what I did. And again, uh, with my new vision of, of how to deal with, with aggression, um, I wanted to bring the temperature down. I'll give you a story about Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett, young captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. He's like 22 years of age. He could fight. He could. He's a power forward. He could score. I mean, he was a leader. His guys respected him. So he consequently, as the young captain and very emotional, thought one of his jobs as a captain was to yell at the referees. And he was getting all kinds of misconducts from my colleagues. I had a game in the old spectrum, talk, some calls made, and he's right in my face yelling at me. I thought, I want to take control of the situation in a proper way. So I put my open palms up, and I, which is a sign of peace, and in a very calm voice, I said, Rick, I'd love to talk to you, but to do so, you need to calm down. And I said the word, please. Right away, he listened. And I said, listen, you, you're a great player. You're a great young captain. You can fight. You can skate. You can score. Your players uh, absolutely uh, respect you. You're a great leader. But I said, you can't do any of that, Rick. From sitting in the penalty box, you're spending way too much time for getting talking penalties from the other referees. I said, if you have a question, please come and ask me. I'll give you a, a, an answer. We may not agree. I said, but you can't play against two teams on this ice and win. You can't play against the guys on that other bench, and you can't play against the stripes at the same time. And I could see a light go on, Tom. It was like, yeah. boom, that makes a lot of sense. And we developed a relationship where if, you know, he had a question, he would come and ask me. I'd answer it. We could agree to disagree, but it kept him out of the penalty box. Uh, that's pretty cool. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sorry, who, who, was, uh, who was some of the best chirpers or talkers with you? Uh, sorry, I'm Laidlaw. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know Tom could talk. I'm glad to see that he has a podcast. <laughs> I, I should quickly jump in. I yeah. quickly jump in. The play, you don't remember this, but we're in, we're in LA. I told this story before when we were in Philadelphia together. And, uh, I'm on the ice. It's opening face-off, and it's like an all-star game or a Hall of Fame game. Yeri Curry's on the ice, and Mark Messier and Polkoff and everything. And uh, Wayne wins the draw back to me, and I've done this a million times. Right? I get the puck. I pass it over to my partner. I pass it up the wing. No problem at all. For this occasion, uh, the puck decided to explode on me, and <laughs> I could not find the puck either. And suddenly, in my skates, and Yuri Curry's just going 100 miles an hour to get the puck. Goes down. This is right off the opening face-off. Goes down and scores a breakaway. Now, I am totally embarrassed. I'm, like all the fans seen this all the te- teammates everybody's looking because i played long enough now that everybody thought i was like mr dependable you know i do the same thing all the time so we get the center ice you got the fuck now and you're you're intentionally <laughs> holding on to the puck and not dropping it so that it was more embarrassing for you it was, it was hilarious my we had enough of a relationship in that time that was funny but i'm yelling at you they dropped the effort water carry just like he is now it was hilarious. I mean, it wasn't hilarious at the time, but now I look back at it, it was pretty funny. So, yeah, that was good. Story. Well, that's all part of the relationship building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Well, it was because we, I played, I must have been like eight to ninth year in the league by then. So we knew each other very well. And you yeah. felt comfortable enough that I, I was a smart ass. So you're going to give it back to me now because uh, that was funny. You know, you, you bring up a really good point. Um, I have, I have heard uh, fellow referees chastise a player that is new in the league. Um, it's so inappropriate, and and I, I've I've heard it. One senior guy um, that shall remain nameless said to a said to a player who was chirping him a little bit, "Who are you? What's what's your name? Let me see the back of your jersey. Whoa. Who the hell are you? Like when you've been in the league five years, you come and talk to me." And and I, I thought, "Oh my God, that's so appropriate, inappropriate." So here's what I would do um, during the first time I would see a, a player, a draft pick. Usually in the preseason, I would look at the roster beforehand and, and I'd get the press notes. This guy's drafted, you know, such and such a first pick, whatever. Uh, just a new face. And I'd, I'd look at his bio and I would introduce myself before I even dropped the puck. While the guys are skating around, we're waiting for the national anthem. I'd skate up and introduce myself and say, listen, you know, good luck. Uh, wish you a safe year. Stay healthy. Uh Give them a little background on what I just read, and and uh, say if you ever if you ever have a question, please you know just feel free to come up and ask me. And and it set the table yeah. before we had any kind of confrontation. And I mean, I'd done a whole bunch of Stanley Cup Finals, and the, the young players coming in, like you being a veteran, they they kind of recognize you, they look up to you, and and yeah. you become their mentor, right? As yeah. a, as a player, uh, and and I think that's really important. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's really smart. Yeah, we're all in the game together, and and then they took our names off our back. And yeah, and Sh- Shane Doan was—he's a great guy. I love Shane. Yeah. And he came up to me in Arizona before uh, I dropped the puck one night, and he said, "We're in the true referee system at that point." And he said, "Hey, Kerry, who, 
what's the, what's your referee partner's name? I said, why, Shane, do you have a problem with him? He said, no, no, no. He said, I just like to call him by name. And uh, like, I don't know who he is. So that's, that's a captain that yeah. is, is working the other side of it. Yeah, right? totally. So, so uh, what's, what's the biggest game you've ever refereed? Oh my God. I did 2,165 of them. Is that right? right? Wow. Yeah. Um, your first Stanley Cup final was always uh, a thrill. That was 1985, and it was the Flyers and, and the Oilers, that young Oiler team. Uh, it went into five games. I got pressed into action. Ben Hellman was supposed to work game four. We went for a morning skate at Northlands. He went around the ice once and said his back hurt, and he wasn't able to work that night, which was shocking to me. Oh. Uh, but uh, And John McCauley was our boss. I said, well, I, you know, I was in bed early last night, went to an early movie, and I'm ready to go. And uh, so Macaulay, pivotal game four, right? And uh, this is my first finals. And previously to that, I'd only done one round of playoffs two years previously. I did two rounds the next year, and now I'm in the Stanley Cup finals in year three of my playoffs. Wow. And Macaulay's like, Andy, don't be screwing around here. He said, "You, if you can work, you got to work. I said, John, I said, John, relax. It's, I'm good. I got this. Uh, good. It was an amazing game. I had the Flyers down two men at one point, and uh, uh, one of the Sutter twins on the kill intercepts a pass in between D to D. He's going in a breakaway. He gets pulled down from behind. I call a penalty shot. I went to Grant Fuhr. You played with Grant, right? Yeah, played against him. Yeah. 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 So Grant was so calm in his desk. Yeah. Like I just, so I went up to him before Sutter's going to take this penalty shot. And I went, Grant, listen, uh, stay in the crease until uh, he touches the puck. You let me know when you're ready, and I'll blow the whistle. He said, shrugged his shoulders. He went, just send him. Just send him. <laughs> and it was, it was like, so Sutter goes in, and Grant makes a save. And, and I thought, wow. There's other goalies that, Billy Smith, for example, he, intense, intense personified, especially in the playoffs. Ronnie Hextall, same kind of guy, you know, whacking the posts and, chopping guys and and here's grant and and marty Brodeur was the same way just calm like send yeah yeah i got this it's been a grant fear i remember i got traded out to la and i don't know what i was doing but i was down in the offensive zone and i slid into him and it was a big game too and it just like it's the same thing he goes hey tommy how do you like la you enjoying it there and then the game's going on I go, yeah it's good grant yeah i'm like that's pretty cool but he was like that definitely yeah, it didn't bother him at all now you mentioned biggest game. I guess the the biggest call that I didn't make. Oh yes, this is for Toronto fans now. Yeah, it's ninety three, and it's game you know game six in the Western Conference Final. Leafs are up three two. If they win, we've got a Montreal Toronto Stanley Cup Final. Canada's licking their chops, and so are the Toronto Maple Leaf fans because they hadn't won since sixty seven which I watched as a little kid in my leaf pajamas with the trap door and the feet in them. <laughs> so, uh, and, and no ref wants to be uh, part of a win or a loss. You don't want to be the reason. And in this particular case, um, I just missed it in overtime uh, with the Leafs on a power play. Um, and sure enough, uh, which when, when Gilly, when killer came to me, uh, it was off a face-off, and the puck won by Wayne. He shot the puck. It hit Jamie McCowan's shin pad and bounced back, right, reflected right back to where the face-off guys were, uh, Doug Gilmore and Wayne Gretzky. And then I, I I saw a reach, like I thought another shot maybe was taken, and then I saw Gilmore bend over, grab his chin. Play stops. He's dabbing blood. I said, killer, please help me. What happened? I didn't see it. I, I, I didn't see it. He said, well, Wayne shot the puck and his follow-through caught me in the chin. That's what Doug Gilmore thought. I said, well, if that's the case, that's not a penalty. He said, okay. Something didn't smell right because you know when Wayne, when Wayne was always there pleading his case, right? Right. He was, this particular time, he's off to the sidewalls. Right. You know, I remember, yeah. Yes. So I went, something else happened, I'm sure. So I, I called the two linesmen over. We, we tried to sort it out. Uh, they couldn't help me. Ron Finn was at the blue line. He was looking through their back. Huck Finn had the balls of an elephant. If if he saw it, he'd tell you. Yeah, yeah. No matter when. Huck That's Finn. Awesome. I didn't know you called him Huck Finn. That's oh, yeah, yeah. 
uh, he was in L.A. He was part of the, uh, they had an intruder uh, at the LAX Marriott one time who came and knocked on the door with a security uh, guard uniform on. Right. And they puck opened the door and Ron Asselstein was in the uh, room with them. They were having a beer and the guy pulled a gun and Huck had the presence of mind. He came to rob them. It was just a bore. He stole the uniform and he came to rob them. Huck slammed the door. The gun went off, shot through the ceiling. Wow. And they got this guy. He was, he was a convicted murderer. And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, that's life on the road sometimes uh, for an NHL official. Uh, but anyway, I missed the call. And if I look back on it uh, throughout my career, it's not the ones, the great calls you made. You never remember those. It's the one that you missed. And it, yeah, I, it's, you know what, though, Kerry, I think you built so much of a reputation that people respected you so much that, yeah, you missed it. It's That's going to happen, right? You're not going to be perfect out there. Well, that's true. And, and you know, you always want to be uh, perfect in a very imperfect uh, job. It's human. You're human. But the aftermath of that, I mean, fans in Toronto remember that forever. Even oh. to this day on the anniversary, it fires up again. But my old man, remember the tough guy I'm talking yeah. about with Popeye sure. Forearms? Dad taped every playoff game that I did in his VCR. I had boxes of tapes. He died in, in uh, 2011 and, uh, uh, or 2001, I'm sorry. And so the I called Dad, and he fell asleep, West Coast game. He said, uh, yeah, I had my tidy whiteies on. He had a bit of a drum on him at that point, but he still had the forearms like Popeye. And he said, we had some excitement here last night about three in the morning uh, after your game. He said, by the way, uh, I saw the replay. He did hit him with a high stick. I said, thanks for that, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, I said, what happened? He said, well, I woke up at like 3, 3.30 in the morning. I hear this car banging into the back of my uh, little uh, mini motorhome uh, trailer. And, and I said, uh, what'd you do? He said, well, I slid the patio door open. I grabbed the ax that I used for chopping wood and I chased him up the street in my underwear. And he said, <laughs> I got a couple of good licks in uh, on the back quarter panel of his, uh, of his car. I said, oh, geez, dad, that's not good. I said, no coincidence here. So I called NHL security and they said, we'll check it out. Two days later, I get a call back from uh, security. They said, yeah, we caught the guy. He's a uh, Leafs fan from Kitchener-Waterloo. And uh, he was so pissed off about the call you missed, he drove to Sarnia to find your family home and do some damage. <laughs> I And they found his car in a body shop. That's how they got him. Oh, is that right? I yeah, getting the axe, axe traps out. So the guy was lucky the old man didn't get him. Well, just that image of your dad running up in his tidy whities with an axe hacking away at the car. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm talking certifiably nuts. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. My, my yeah. dad. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. The linesmen were pretty funny guys too back then too. They all had really strong personalities. And everybody knew the linesmen too. Like Asseltine, you mentioned before, Rod Finn, Ray Scampanello. Scampanello was funny one time. It's probably my sixth or seventh year in the league and we we're playing a game in Toronto. And uh, I can't remember what happened. The puck went over the glass. And uh, Mark Osborne was on Toronto at that time. I played with him in, in New York and uh, Eddie Olchuk was there. So now the three of us, the two Toronto players and myself are talking to Scamp. So going back and forth with what our impressions of what happened during the play, Scampy goes, Tommy, what, you tell me what happened. You never lie. So I told him my version of what happened. And he says, okay, that's it. Tommy doesn't lie. That's the end of the story. And the two guys, <laughs> Olchik and uh, Osborne, are looking like, what? That's it? Because Tommy says so. That's it. That's funny. That's funny. You know, Ray, I, I worked my first, uh, most of my finals with Ray Scampanello and John D'Amico, two oh. Hall of Fame guys. I mean, yeah. how, how much better can you get than that? But my, uh, and you might have been in this game. It was, I... My milestone games, refs are recognized for 1,000 games, and then I set a new bar for 1,500 games that has been accomplished by a couple of other guys after me. And um, so it was uh, the 1,000 games, and, and they bring out the red carpet, and I get the Eskimo soapstone, and all my family's there. I get seven kids, now 13 grandkids. And, wow. and Pat Quinn, that I always wanted in both games, I wanted the Leafs to play the Rangers, two original six. And so Pat Quinn's coaching and Pat, he didn't like referees at all. And he really didn't like me. Right. Oh. So the crowd is, you know, they're applauding when I'm honored and uh, Scampy standing over by the Toronto bench. He says, Hey, quitter. He says, look at all the people. Fraser's thousandth game. They're applauding him. And you're not, you got your arms folded. Give him a clap. He gave him one, one little clap like that. And he said, 999 too many. <laughs> that's funny i didn't realize he didn't like referees that much oh my god he hated us 
I, and, and Brian Burke told me when he was his assistant uh, GM in, in uh, Vancouver, he said, listen, it's nothing personal, Kerry. He's, he just doesn't like any referees. So I had a, a game in Montreal, the Leeds are playing, and uh, I, I got in, you know, for a late breakfast uh, at the Marriott there, and uh, Benito is the maitre d'. We all know he's been around forever, and, and he sits me down at a table. Now Quinn comes in with his newspaper under his arm, and Benito puts him right at the table, next to me and the place is empty quinn goes bonito the whole gd restaurant's empty and you set me down beside the gd referee <laughs> i kind of chuckle a little bit but he's not joking and he sits down at, so i i asked him a question about immigration because i knew he was a lawyer and his daughter uh, was applying for for dual citizenship or something so we broke the ice a little bit we ch- we chatted he gave me some legal uh expertise and tips on it that the Leafs win that night they win by one goal and as he's crossing the ice at the end of the game at the forum I skated up to him and I said hey Pat see you win you have breakfast with the referee he said if I had known that all it took I'd be eating with you all the time <laughs> so you got into a total of what 2100 games referee yeah, uh, two, uh, 1904 uh, regular season and 261 uh, Stanley Cup playoffs 12 Stanley Cup finals um, I had the Olympics in 98 Nagano when we were first allowed to go over uh, and then the 96 uh, World Cup of Hockey prior to that and I took a, a crew Scampi and, and Dan Shakti God rest his soul he passed this year oh that's right yeah uh, yeah we're, we're guys you know from our era dropping off and uh, so we had uh, we had a terrific trip over to Europe. Uh, the Czechs were playing the Germans in Garmisch Partenkirchen in the uh, Alps, Austrian Alps, right at the border, uh, for the last spot to come over to the medal round. And the Czechs had an amazing team, all those stars, Jager, but they weren't playing as a team. They were playing as individuals. They were arguing with their coach. They got beat by the Germans, and, and it was like, wow. So um, very exciting. Uh, then we came back and did the medal round over in North America and, and the gold medal with U.S. And, and Canada. Yeah, Kerry, we talked about that a little bit because that's a series. I think it's a little bit overlooked, but it's a, it was an amazing series, that Canada-U.S. series. It really was. You guys lost, Tom. But yeah. Oh, it was the Americans it was incredible. Won. Yeah, the Americans played great, and, and that, that last, the gold medal game, uh, it was war. Like... I'm talking stick swinging and uh, Terry Gregson refereed it and uh, Scampy, like he, he was on the lines. He said, if we don't start calling something, somebody's going to die out here. Oh, is that right? I had that fact. Keith Kachuk was swinging with yeah. that foot. They were like full on. Yeah. Bill, oh, like, say, Bill Barron was on the team too. That wasn't, you know, Billy great Garen, Yeah. What a great guy Bill Guerin is. I've heard that. I've never met him, but I've heard some very good things about him. Yeah. Uh, awesome guy. You mentioned, you mentioned Terry Gregson. We played a preseason game when I was in LA against the U- U.S. Olympic team and to- uh, Tony Garrado was on the team. Yeah. And uh, he, he, he would make things look like he was accidental. I mean, the stick was always up in your face. And he got me in the uh, lip and broke the stick actually and there were splinters in my lip and terry gregson didn't call anything so i go over to terry and i was pretty calm where right? guess terry's a good guy too right so like great guy yeah so i go over to him i terry he got me in the mouth so he said oh i don't think he did so i turned and looked at him the splinter was sticking out of my tongue my uh, lip he says and he felt he felt terrible i felt bad but he felt so bad he's tom i'm sorry i just didn't see it you know yeah then there i was with the splinters hanging under my lip Terry, you said well, you have a great memory what was uh what are, do you have a favorite game that you ref yes I'm going to go to the 2010 New Year's Day, the Winter Classic in, in uh, Fenway Park in Boston. Uh-huh. Um, and it was because it took me back to my youth growing up in Canada on an outdoor rink that Dad built in the backyard and, and playing, you know, and Merrick's had a rink around the corner. They had the boards, the whole deal. We'd go over every Saturday after we had our practice with the, uh, you know, whatever all-star team we were playing on. And we had a neighborhood game. And so this, this stepping out of the, the going through the dugout and knowing that all the famous baseball players that had walked through that dugout in that old historic uh, ballpark and then moving towards deep short where the rink was and seeing Bobby Orr and Bobby Clark, the two honorary captains in their jerseys as I stepped onto the ice, shake their hands, give them a hug. And I took off. The air was crisp. We had had fresh snow the day before, a fair amount of it, and it was 
I felt like a kid again. I yeah, was like, cool. boom, I took off and my legs were light. The air was crisp. You could taste it. And boom, it, it was a fond memory of where I came from. And at this stage of my career in my final season, uh, it took me right back to the beginning. So why was that your final season? Did you make the choice to? Yeah, I mean, I was 30 years in the NHL. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tommy, I'd done everything. Um I, the game had changed in a, in a sense that we came back from the first lockout with the no touch, no hooks, no holds, forced players to leave the game. One of the things that was created that was in a negative sense was the fact that you were holding guys up and you as a D-man were going to get pasted against the wall. We had a, a tag up rule on the offsides. It was a game of speed and skill. Great. But it became based on the the little ticky tacky penalties that yeah. were being called from that never off off the pot they never would have been called previously sure. yep. guys had to fight through it which isn't it, it's not right you know guys like mario should have been able to display their skill like bossy same kind of thing scored all those goals with guys on his back and uh but uh it created a situation where um they didn't want the physicality to leave the game so henceforth yeah. hard hits high hits yeah. sort of were looked upon as good hockey plays and and i had a problem with that and uh i stuck up for the players and and i said this you know five years before i retired i said we this isn't good things are going to happen bad and we're going to have more lindrosses i just think uh, of lindros i was thinking of lindros hitting people too right so you couldn't hold him up anymore Puck yeah. dumped in, and now he's ramming guys on the boards. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I had the games. Uh, Scott Stevens clocked him until uh, so it was. Oh God, it was Alfels game seven, and you know he was in the fetal position. I thought for sure that he'd be eating porridge the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And uh, Scott Stevens was a fearless, fearless guy, but I saw fear in his face after he hit him, and he's laying on that fetal position, and he was white as a ghost over at the uh, Devils bench, and. Uh, I think he maybe thought he went too far, um, but uh, you know Eric uh, got up, and uh, I, I know he's an advocate for for uh, keeping the the hits off the head as I am. Yeah. But then Stevens did the same thing to Paul Korea, so he didn't learn from it. And you know what? He left the game with head issues himself. Who Scott did? Scott, yeah, yeah, yeah. with concussion issues. What What's your take on that, Kerry? Because there's a lot of a lot of talk about that lately about taking that or even taking those hits out completely. Not even head hits, just regular hits. hits. No, it's uh. a game of physicality. I mean, you, it, I talked to my good buddy Craig Ramsey, who's coaching over in Slovakia right now in the World Championships, and and I said, Rammer, why is it these guys are are getting hit like they're oblivious to their environment right. and they're they're puck watching and. They're admiring their passes. And he said, Kerry, I'm going to tell you two things. First of all, in our era, the first thing you did after you passed the puck was you got your stick up. And if, if, the, if the guy was going to come through it, he better be a beaver to eat the wood because otherwise he's not getting you. And the other thing is you always knew where everybody was on the ice and, and especially a guy like Scott Stevens that was, you know, lurking like a shark waiting to, to step up and, and make that big hit. So I think the the Georgie Peros and, and the uh, Department of Player Safety has done a great job. Oh, yeah. I think there's always more to do. And I think the, as the game evolves and each game is different, they have to react and respond to situations that uh, they don't want in the game. Uh, and I think the players are getting it finally. But again, the, the, these kids are growing up. First of all, they can't hit until, what, 12 years old? High school now. High school? Right. Really? Yeah. So they're unaware how to hit, how to hit people properly. Right. And they think the rules are going to protect them. Like, you see these kids going to the boards face first. So they're standing there about three feet away thinking, well, the guy's not going to hit because it's against the rules. Well, they get mm. Well, it's been some contraries because Jake here in New York, Jacob Truva's thrown a couple of monster hits, old school hits this yeah. year. And, yeah. you know, people, they, even the guys he hit, when he hit Kadri, Kadri said that wasn't a penalty. Right. Right. I mean, right. but he said the fight after each time because the bench. Well, that's a whole other thing too. Yeah, that I think that's that's we've talked about this before. Where it, the player from the team that got hit uh, that wants to jump in and fight it right away. Well, first of all, that's bad discipline. I think. Yeah, let you hear your say, Kerry, because now he's going to get that extra penalty, which hurts his team. 
Right. And he just said, okay, we would make the guy pay. We'd make him wait. Like we'd talk to him all during the game, say, listen, we're coming for you. We're going to get you. And then you wait till the right time to get him. Right? You know, it's funny. A couple of things pop into my mind of, of, of the different era where they, there was a little bit of a police state that took place yeah. on the ice. Yeah. And the tough guys are going to fight the tough guys. We knew that. But I've seen situations where a skilled player, and you mentioned Paul Correa. Let's say Paul Correa gets hit by a, a tough check and a big guy. I've seen this tough guy off Korea's team stand in front of the bench and say to the skilled players on that team, and he'd look at the tough guy, he said, I'm not going to fight you. Yeah. And he pointed at the tough guy. I'm going to go after you, little guy, you skilled player, and I'm taking care of you. And and now the skilled players are going to the tough guy. Uh, okay, uh, let's calm down here a little bit, boys. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a great strategy. I saw a few guys do that. That was cool. Yeah. Terry, what would you do if, say, like a, a big young kid from Ontario came in in his first set game and he just destroyed Robert Picard for no reason? What would you do? Would you, would you, you discipline him? What would you do? Okay, so I got to tell, tell the stories. My first game in the league, I shot the puck in my own net up in Boston. So the next game, Freddie Shearer, our coach, Fred, our next game, we're in Toronto. And I'm thinking, yeah, I've worked my whole life to get to the National Hockey League. Freddie Shearer is making very clear that he wants us fighting. So Rob Ricard butt into me in front of our bench. He really wasn't that bad. He wasn't a butt end. And I, I spoke to him, knocked him out cold. Nice. Yeah. Now, well, they told me to get a place to stay right after the game. So I made the team after doing that. So yeah, it worked out. My, port, my parents were in the game. It was in Toronto. I grew up in Brampton. And uh, my mother was there. She's looking at me like, who are you? Like, who? My father was very proud of it. Sucker punching an all-star defenseman. Oh, yeah. Not totally. So, Kerry, what have you done since you retired? Well, I've done a lot of things. I uh, I wrote the book, The Final Call. It uh, became a bestseller in hardcover and paperback. But uh, while I was uh, promoting the uh, the hardcover, uh, I was in Quebec. And uh, I had uh, Michel Bergeron and I uh, were on uh, a French uh, show called L'Entre Champ. Uh, and uh, there was... Uh, uh, another ex Montreal player uh, coach uh, that was on as well. And uh, at the end of the show, and I'm telling stories and the guy's translating or the host. And at the end of it, he said, Kerry, listen, you were like 30 years in the NHL. You saw all the best coaches, greatest coaches in the history of the game. Who is the best coach you ever saw? Now I'm sitting beside Michelle Bergeron, who he and I had an issue from my disallowed goal in uh, 1987 uh, in the game five of the Battle of Quebec, uh, Alain Cote's goal, I disallowed with a minute and change left that would have caused them to win the game. Um, and uh, he still, you know, harbors the grudge about that. And uh, I said, oh, and I pointed to Michel. I said, oh, Michel Bergeron and numero two, number two. He's, he's the second best coach I saw in my history. And his chest all pops up uh le petit tigre and i said all the rest were tied for number one you're going there i knew i knew it <laughs> well they broke up laughing so i get off the set and i get a phone call from from uh steve dryden at tsn and asked if uh, i was interested in uh being part of a, a new hockey show uh that they were putting together and uh with steve coolis as the host and i ended up uh, on them for three years uh and into the playoffs and analyzing the rest calls, we created Come On Ref uh, brand uh, and uh, did uh, a lot of good stuff on their uh, their uh, uh, website, uh, doing a question of the day during the playoffs. And, and my purpose was to educate the fans. And it, it, it really did turn. My former colleagues, a lot of them were pissed off because if they made a mistake, I, I had to say they made a mistake. But I always try to, to teach the fans, this is how and why. That we're not perfect. This is the, and I put a clip in it, this is the sight line that this ref had. This is what he based his decision on. So it, it created a, an understanding with fans that uh, they got to understand, rather than just sitting at home and watching it and seeing all kinds of replays in real time, these guys have a tough job to do. And... I think it, it created uh, more of a, an education for fans when they initially started out, you know, and they could blog on it. I was getting all kinds of shots. Oh, yeah, you effed us in 93 and our Toronto fans and all this stuff. And, but after a week or two and, and just dealing, my, my adage on the ice, Tom, was to, to treat disrespect with respect. I think you can gain a lot more by 
trying to come to terms, you know, and, and dealing that way. You're a very respectful guy. You always were. Um, and such a joy to have on the ice. Never had a problem. But some guys, you've got to try and, and get them to play on your terms without me being a jackass, me laying the hammer down. So it, it worked really well. Uh, I then, uh, we lost the uh, contract to Sportsnet. Uh, they wanted me to stay on and, and do some other things that I just, I thought we'd run our course without having uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I went into business with uh, my son-in-law, who was a basketball player in college, and he started a VIP hospitality company in any major sport in the world, whether it's the Kentucky Derby or big-time golf stuff, the Masters. He actually took me to the Masters after I finished writing the book, and it was the first time I'd been there. Wow. It was like unbelievable. I had VIP access and all the bells and whistles that he does, uh, and his company's called All Access uh, GTE. So as I was about to leave, he said, uh, do you have a good time? I said, oh, yeah, Ryan, this is awesome. I said, this is what you do, man. Like, sign me up. Yeah. And uh, so he said, well, listen, before you go, I, I have a question for you. I'd like your permission to marry your daughter. Oh, oh, okay. oh yeah. I said, I said, kid, if this is what you think, <laughs> I said, forget her. There you <laughs> go. Uh, uh, so then we started a private golf organization that is a philanthropic uh, group. Uh, we have over 500 members from all over North America at top clubs, and, and we do really good work. Um, I just got back from Texas, as a matter of fact, with a, with a bunch of them. We played four rounds in four days, and uh, so I'm the director of member relations for that. Uh, but I also, and this is really exciting, Tommy, you're going to love this. I got a call about two months ago from a, a kid from Detroit, kid, everybody's a kid to me, young man from, from Detroit, and he's down in Tampa. And he connected with me and he said, listen, we have this synthetic ice that we believe is exactly the same as skating on natural ice. I said, really? Yeah, sure. I went down, took my skates, my ref gear. I refereed a uh, three-on-three with two goalies on this uh, uh, Tampa Lightning uh, training center uh, that where they have their, their sheet. And I was blown away. I, I could do everything as I did on ice. Well, tight, tight quarters, pivot, stop, sideways, back, forward. Amazing. So I, I just jumped on board with them. I'm going to put a rink at my, uh, my son-in-law. Uh, his place for his little guys. The applications are amazing. You can you can put it in a garage. You can put it in a basement. You can put it outdoors. No maintenance. It's incredible. So think about think about our hot market uh, NHL hot markets, right? Phoenix. You know, you think of the warm weather market, Texas, and these kids are just chomping at the bit every time a team moves forward. Florida, Panthers, same kind of thing. And you know how expensive ice is for these kids to play down there. Yep. So this, I think, this is a no-brainer. That's great. You've done yeah. well. You've done well. Well, listen, thank you very much for coming on our show. We'd like to have you out again. I think you get enough stories. We can probably do three or four shows, right? Keep you going. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's always hey, a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I had a ton of respect for you when I was playing and you're a referee, and, and I'm very happy I've got to know you more now as a friend. So again, thank you very much for coming on the show. You're a good man. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on, Gary. My pleasure, guys. Kerry Fraser is great. I mean, there's so many good stories, and he's just such a well-respected guy. Fun guy, yeah. He's great to tell stories, too. The, the stories themselves are great, but the way he tells them, too, fantastic. And he went through his health scare. Glad he's doing well. He's one of those guys you look back at for, for me. Uh, there's a lot of guys, and it seems like some referees like Scamp and Ella, guys like that, that you look back and go, like, wow, it's really cool to see those guys again. I had a lot of fun with them. Which, were there any refs that you just hated or hated you? No, I don't think there was. I, I, there's some guys that you didn't feel as comfortable having fun with. Like, uh, again, I've told the story many times, but the one where I turned the puck over. Yeah, let's not talk about yeah. that. Let's, let's talk about anything but that. Oh, but Kerry Fraser, he was sitting there and he was just starting to embarrass me as much as he can. So it showed me that we had a good enough relationship. Well, that was good that he just basically held up the game. So yeah. I went into probably camera on you saying, look what Laylo just did there. So I remember yelling at him too. And it was I wasn't really mad at him, but I was like, you drop the fuck. Yeah. yeah. I think what he basically what came, what I got out of that is he was a, a human being and yeah. he said he treated players yeah, like, totally. and obviously that showed through that uh, story told us afterwards. But yeah, he's a, uh, yeah, seems like a great guy, great ref, legendary hair. Like, yeah, I know. Ridiculous hair. Yeah. We didn't talk about the hair enough. Like, maybe it's because I was self-conscious because I got the 
And he still has it. It's yeah, incredible. I know. It's perfect. It's always the same, too. It's like a helmet. But yeah, it was a great show. He's had great stories. We're going to have him on again because he's yeah. got a lot to say. Definitely. Yeah, you can tell we could have gone on for another couple of hours with some stories he had. Yeah, we'll get him back. Definitely. Definitely. Really good show. All right, Grasshoppers. Thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.